You're listening to the Family Discipleship Podcast, a podcast of training the church. Every kid is an individual, and we can try our best to be incredible parents, but it doesn't mean our kids will not be wild and free, especially when we're not around. The people in the fourth and fifth grade room, I mean, this is just a shout out to those volunteers, okay? Because all of our volunteers do amazing work, but that fourth and fifth grade room, y'all, is is pure chaos. It's um, <laughs> it's ninety percent boy. There's a ton of them. They're yeah. There's they're multiplying, and every time I just see them, and I'm just like, y'all are doing God's work in here. And so we get the opportunity for some young adults to come in and, and just see, like, this is what it is. And whatever idea they have of what parenting is that the world has given them or that their parents gave them, we get to kind of retell the story and give them a different a different vision for it. This is Adam Griffin, and I'm here with my two lovely co-hosts, Cassie Bryant, in the room today at the Griffin House. How are you doing, Cassie? I'm so happy to be here in person oh, with yes. my two of my favorite people. We usually record online on a, a platform where literally nobody can sit in the same room as each other, but today we get to be around the same table. I can smell your musk, or maybe it's Chelsea's musk. Oh, I, <laughs> no, hope, I'm just I hope you can't smell my musk. Ugh. <laughs> so sad. Uh, no, <laughs> no, there's no smell. I'm sorry. <laughs> I've been accused of being musky. <laughs> And of course, Chelsea's here too. How are you doing today, I'm Chelsea? I'm here to defend myself. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I smell very feminine for anyone who's wondering. <laughs> <laughs> the shower requirement's really different when you have to record in the same room, probably, huh? Oh. Like, different than being online. I know, I know I that Chelsea yeah, doesn't care about my showers or her showers. <laughs> yeah. Well, also, the, the contagious diseases around the table, a little bit easier to get, you know, stomach bugs or flus or whatever, but we'll, we'll be okay today, we're just right? just keep our hands to ourselves. Yeah. We're just, just going to not get sick. Tis the season. It's going to be great. Every kid is getting something right now. Well, today we don't have a special guest. Today it's just us. We're going to talk about other people's kids. Uh, this may sound like a weird topic, but I think once we get into it, you'll see how important this is. But I wanted to start with this. Chelsea and Cassie, have you guys ever had one of those incidents where you found yourself uh, literally parenting a stranger, like you are, you're seeing somebody else's kid and you are intervening on the behalf of the absent parent. I think it's in my job description to do that actually. <laughs> like every week. Yes. I mean, I've, there's been a, there was a time at, there's a church here in town that has like a big indoor playground and a lot of people go to that. And uh, there was a time that there was a little boy who was just being really mean to a bunch of the girls, Ooh. calling them names teasing them, all that kind of stuff. And I like looked around for his mom, couldn't find him. So finally I just pulled him aside. I don't think I regret it though, because someone needed to do something. Oh, so. for sure. But uh, isn't the real emergency this kid doesn't have a mom, Cassie? Did you even care? Well, in his mom's defense, there are a lot of times now that my kids are that age, I'm like sitting down for a cup of coffee and I don't have eyes on what. Oh, but, sure. but did you ever kidding. confirm that he had a mom? <laughs> oh, I did. I asked, where's your mom? And he, he said over there. Java so, chiller, having yeah. a Java chiller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I did tell him, I was like, you need to be nice to these girls. And remember, if your mom's not watching, God is. <laughs> wow. wow. Okay. Coming in hot. <laughs> got to listen to the last episode on moralism. <laughs> there you go. About that. God is watching you, kid. God and he doesn't like you. what you're doing yeah. in the playground. So maybe I regret what I said. Is, <laughs> Okay, because I was going to say the question's worded like, uh, you know, have you ever regretted it? And I'm going, I've done this a lot. I've never regretted it. Yeah, (laughs) Maybe you're regretting that we have to do it. Maybe. But I mean, after the years that I was a high school teacher, all of that time, you just you start to feel like saying anything to any teenager in public, you know, because you're used to doing it all day long and it it comes very naturally. But 
I remember, especially during that time, like scolding some kids at a movie theater, like teenage kids. Yeah. Yeah. Some boys to leave this girl alone. And uh, I felt like they were like, they received it because I guess they're just not used to someone saying something. And I think they assumed it must be serious if a stranger is going to come up to them and say, you need to stop that right now. And so they did. And I like that. I would imagine, (laughs) don't most cultures, adults parent each other's kids? Oh, I would assume so. Yeah. Ours ours certainly does it less so, I think, than what I've heard in past generations. But I I too, I agree with you, Chelsea. When, When I was a high school teacher, I felt more entitled than ever to talk to especially teenagers to explain what they were doing and why I've, yes. I've followed teenagers into gas station parking lots while they're driving to explain why we don't throw things out our car windows at moving vehicles. Or I have, uh, I mean, you know, this, you've seen me do this. I've been at, um, establishments where <laughs> Chelsea's Adam, Adam's been a dad long before he was a dad. If you know what I mean? Uh, I think that's uh, why we're all here. Right. <laughs> we've all been parenting longer than we've been parenting. I've asked kids to apologize to strangers. I've asked kids who are strangers to apologize to strangers oh, based sure. on their behavior. Uh, I've explained a lot of things to other people's kids, but in addition, I've also had those those playground moments. Yeah. Um, we've also just had, you know, this isn't just about strangers. We've had, you know, other people's kids in our home who yeah. are hanging out with our kids or or family members who are over or around. We've been involved, and it is an important aspect of discipleship to think about how what is the right way to interact with somebody else's kids, not just in a discipline sense, although if that's necessary, certainly we'll do it. But what does a family discipleship look like when you're dealing with somebody else's mm-hmm. kids? Chelsea, maybe you can kick this off a little bit for us, because I do think there should be a little bit of sensitivity around this, right? Like, where where do we need to be sensitive about trying to disciple somebody else's kids? Yeah, I think there's a ton of sen- sensitivity, um, you know, for a lot of families— they may have extended family that does not love the Lord. Yeah. And and so that's tricky because you don't want to seem like you're trying to indoctrinate, yeah. um, you know, your family members, your, you know, your nieces or nephews or cousins or something like that, um, especially in a way that maybe their parents would find like unfair or secretive or something, you know, to say, yeah. hey, we asked you to watch our kid and then all you did was read the Bible to them or you did like a secret baptism in the hot tub or something like that. <laughs> yeah, like we're always doing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like we're always doing. <laughs> if I had a nickel. Uh, <laughs> everybody in the hot tub. <laughs> and so. That's tricky. And then the the other thing that feels sensitive, I'd say, in the church is just you want it to feel like partnership. You know, there's yeah. there's a way that I would feel like really honored if if somebody saw one of our kids doing something at church and they called them to better and said, "Hey, God, God designed yeah. you uh, for more than this," and and really, yeah, like spoke into them, yes. I would be like, "Oh my gosh, thank goodness." Yeah. But of course, we all have that sensitivity that would be like, if something about what they said or how they did it implied that mm-hmm. I failed to parent right. my kid yeah. or something like that, I could see myself feeling um, offended, feeling offended, or yeah. fe- you know, having my feelings hurt or feeling like ashamed or stupid of like yeah. somebody else had to had to step in. Kind of looking at my kids, going, "Oh, your you know your deadbeat mom obviously failed to, tr- to mm. teach you how to act." So here I come, is different than someone in my home group, yeah, saying to my kids, "Hey, I know your mom and dad are always telling you this, but I you know I just heard what you said, and, and you need to apologize because God yeah. has more for you, you know." So the those are like fine lines, I think, but totally. important. Well, I think there are. I think one of the things you're touching on there is that a lot of parents should say a lot of households have different rules that are not necessarily wrong. Mm-hmm. And so while in discipleship, you're talking about not proselytizing. I mean, we do want to share our faith with other kids and other families, 
but not um, unfairly cornering a kid who doesn't have authority and saying, well, this is what you should believe. Your parents are telling you this, but this is what you should. We share what we believe. We share the gospel with anybody. But Mm -hmm. I think also there are some just parenting tactics that are different. So we don't yell in our house, but if our kids were yelled at by another parent, uh, I might take issue with that and say, well, we don't do that. But sometimes there's that feeling of, do I need to correct somebody else's parenting? you know, that, that kind of sensitive, I think what you're touching on is that judgment is always like right around the corner. Yeah. And if it feels like some other parent is judging me yeah. by trying to intervene with my kid, that, that feels harsh to me. If I, if I feel like I'm doing that to somebody, yeah. that, that feels tough. And so while yeah. we can offer wisdom, we can offer a biblical wisdom on how to lead and disciple and, and maybe just a parent, your children, uh, it, when, when it feels like there's a judgment that, that is unfair and uh, should not be given because it's just, we're just talking about different parenting yeah. styles, then, then that feels like we're, we're a little bit cornered on that. One of the correction is coming from a place of love for the kid. Right. That's totally different than out of a place of annoyance because the kid is Big time. inconveniencing them or... Yeah. So, I mean, there's a difference. And yeah. it's the same for our own parenting. When I discipline out of annoyance or yeah. irritation my children, then it's going to come across like it's not the right heart, you know, yeah. of discipline, whether if I'm dis- disciplining them out of a heart of love and like guiding them and towards what is right, you know. Well, we all know that our kids are not a result, uh, a perfect result of our parenting, right? No. So like if my kid is acting up, it is not because necessarily I have failed to parent them or tell them our kids are sinners. Oh, yeah. And so if we presume that upon others, that's also unfair. Right. If you see a kid acting up and you go, oh, that kid's parents are just uh, they're a nightmare. They're not. Maybe, yeah. but maybe this kid is but just if, really. If you struggling. see it like the right amount of times, then it's definitely the parents. <laughs> <laughs> like how well, many times before we get to blame the mom? I feel like <laughs> and you're. Some of us are in positions where our kids are with other people a lot. Oh, true, all the time. Yeah, not everyone's in that position, but like even us, we were at a camp together. Yeah, was that last summer? Yeah, not this past one, but the one before that. And it's like we were around each other's kids a lot, and so mm-hmm. it can feel very exposing and vulnerable to like. When your parenting is on display, I remember thinking like, oh my goodness, we're about to do this podcast and they're like watching me parent these oh, kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Eric said something about it while we were at the camp. About, oh, did he? Yeah. I was just like sitting there kind of like adoring your youngest child because she's just being like wild and free and like doing her thing. And, <laughs> and I love that. And I, I just, I'm the youngest child in my family and I just, I have a, a spot in my heart. Uh, for the youngest and, and the girls w- and what they're like and what they do. And I was just like sitting there just being like, she's awesome, you know? And Eric was like, oh God, thank goodness. He was like, <laughs> I was getting really self-conscious that you guys were like, you know, kind of looking down on this situation. Yeah. I can't remember what it was. She was having yeah. like no part of whatever, whatever food was being served or something always, like that. Every meal. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm like, that's my life. I don't want yeah. I don't want to eat anything that's yeah. not delicious. And uh, so I'm like, I feel her right now. But yeah, that, even with like people you love and trust, you yeah. still, we have that in us where totally. we, we want uh, to be approved of, you know? And yeah. so part of that, we have to, as believers, we have to drop our guard and that sense of pride. Yeah. Yeah. Pride, pride and judgment is probably a good ends of the spectrum to talk about because we have, anybody who has multiple kids knows that your kids are not a perfect result of your parenting. Yeah. So if you have one kid that does what you've asked them to do, it's not evidence that like, see this kid is turning out the way I wanted yeah. them to. And the other one is rebellious. Therefore, I can't be judged by them. No, it's like every, every kid is an individual and we can try our best to be incredible parents, but it doesn't mean our kids will not be wild and free, especially when we're not around. And so if other adults are around our kids and we're not, there is a form of discipline and discipleship that I appreciate. But not only that, what I want to get into 
there's a form of that that's really advantageous, like having other people serve our family by joining us and being echoing voices of what we tell our kids or just coming alongside when we don't see them and offering the same level of grace and sympathy and compassion for our kids that we would if we were there. But before we get to that, let's make a real clear distinction. Chelsea, what's the difference between discipleship when other kids are around and discipline when other people's kids are around? Maybe is there a difference? I think there's definitely a difference. And so discipline uh, may definitely be necessary at some point. Um, If you see a child doing something that is going to hurt others, hurt themselves, um, or is, you know, completely unacceptable behavior, uh, definitely necessary to step in. Is it necessary to like spank someone else's kid at the grocery store? Absolutely not. Right. And so uh, I think the way Cassie worded it was, was great. If you go, if you're saying something to a child because the child is bothering you, what they're doing annoys you or just is, you think is driving you nuts, that is not discipleship. And you don't want to tell yourself that it is <laughs> um, when you're really just trying to have a more comfortable environment. You're trying right. to have a more pleasing circumstance than what you have, and this kid is driving you nuts. That's different. Discipleship, what all of us would hope for is that in the church, in our in our Christian communities, that we would have lots of adults that are able to point our kids to Jesus right. in moments of sin. And and maybe a kid is doing something that drives people yeah. crazy. Uh, but how can we point our kids to Jesus? How can uh, the church be an echo chamber for the most beautiful and profound truths in the universe right. so that our kid wouldn't just hear these things at home and go, I never hear them anywhere else. Right. But I think of so many of the single men in our church and, and the things that they've mm-hmm. said to our boys, and I'm like, they have no idea how priceless that is to me. Right. Just mm-hmm. because I already said it to my kids does not mean I do not need these men to speak into the lives of our sons. Well, sometimes they hear it better coming from somebody that's not their mom and dad. Now I know Cassie, like your whole role at your church is providing a version of this is both being that for families, but also providing volunteers or, or avenues through which volunteers can serve in a way. What's the advantage of having other adults discipling your kids? Now this is not going all the way to saying, Hey, parents take a step back and aren't involved. We're talking about an involved parent who's discipling their kids, also having other adults come alongside them. Why is that advantageous? Oh, well, because it's an opportunity for our kids to see how the body of Christ really works in terms of like, there are, we have, we invite secondary influences into our life all the time and every relationship that we choose to participate in. And as parents, you know, before our kids are getting older, we get to decide who those influences are for a season. And we have a whole kind of episode on influence and who gets to influence our children. But what we get to do when we drop our kids off or when we have like small group leaders with children as they get older, they spend maybe more time with their leaders. We get to entrust them to someone else who is like-minded in their doctrine and in their love for God's word and in their love for our children, oftentimes, but hopefully. And we get to trust that God is going to direct them by his Holy Spirit and how they relate to our kids. And it's such a gift that, you know, my daughter, and this this even happens in our marriage, right? In terms of like, Eric and I'll have conversation. There's something that I might point out or questions I have for him about a season of life he's in. And um, a couple months later, he'll go out with some guy friends and he'll come back and share like, you know, something. It's like, sometimes we just need to hear it from other people. Yeah. And yeah. that's okay. And yeah. our kids are the same way. If they're only hearing things and truths about God from us, yeah. and we kind of create this like insulated, I don't know, 
bubble where it's like we're the only voice of influence in their life, then what, eventually they're going to grow up and they might question that. Yeah. Um, and so, but when you put other people in their lives and you surround them with other people who believe the same things and who love Jesus, then they're going to see multiple different ways of how to be faithful, how to love God, how to relate to one another. And yeah. they get to see the multifaceted you know, reality of our faith, which is such a gift. Help us understand too, because it's not just advantageous for the kid, but for the adult who's willing to serve oh, yeah. at a church or at a, a camp who's really has like a, the best intentions we're talking about, saying, I just want to help disciple kids that maybe are not, I'm not related to. What's the advantage for the adult? Oh, well, I mean, they, they're getting to practice what they believe and they get, yeah. they're getting to learn, you know, we, we, uh, recruit pretty hard from a local seminary, uh, for volunteers. And we tell them like, this is, this is varsity. Like what we do right. in kids ministry is like varsity theology. So this right. isn't like, we're not going to ask you to come in and water down what it is you're learning. Or just babysit. You're not just, <laughs> just, just babysit. hiring babysitters. No, we're going to ask you to come and you, you're going to learn to distill you, the theology that you're learning, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, and teach it to children or to students. So it's amazing what we hear from these leaders who are coming in is like, this is so good for my faith to have to like answer their questions, to think about, we, we take for granted that we just know all of this like Christianese language or these things about the Bible. But then when you have to go and impart that to third graders, you're, it's challenging in, yeah. in all the best ways. Oh, yeah. Whenever I uh, drop off my kids at kids ministry at church, <laughs> the people in the fourth and fifth grade room, I mean, this is just a shout out to those volunteers, okay? Because all of our volunteers do amazing work, but that fourth and fifth grade room, y'all, is is pure chaos. It's um, <laughs> it's 90% boy. There's a ton of them. They're, yeah. they're, they're multiplying. And every time I just see them and I'm just like, y'all are doing God's work in here. Amen. Like Adam gets to preach from yeah. the stage with, with no interruption. No one throws things at him. <laughs> no one talks back to him. <laughs> but I see these boys and they're unruly. Yeah. And there are volunteers that come for no payment. I know. You know, and, and speak truth and try to get these boys just to hear, yeah. uh, hear what the Lord is saying and understand mm-hmm. his word. And I just think like, Oh my goodness, God's blessing and favor upon you for entering into this. Well, and the benefit of those volunteers to get to see the fruit of what they're doing over the course of, you know, hopefully months. Yeah, Lord willing. Lord Lord willing, even years. Like Maven's leaders who are with her in the fourth and fifth grade girls' uh, room have been with her since first grade. Yeah. And so they've been moving up. And so they've gotten to see, they've gotten to witness them learning just to read and like navigate the Bible and just like learning tools and like teaching Amanda fish, you know? And so uh, to hear their account of how these girls are growing over the course of the last four years is such an encouragement and it strengthens their own faith. So I'd say it's a huge yeah. advantage for adults to work with no, kids. I totally agree. I think sometimes it seems uh, because it might be more difficult for some people or less appealing, like maybe they, they have some hesitancy to serve in a, in an avenue by which they would share the gospel with kids. But I think what people would find is is many of the ministries that we are called to are not for your convenience mm-hmm. as a minister, yeah. but uh, for you to serve. And there's something really beautiful about an adult stepping up and saying, I'm willing to serve. And I think uh, there are a lot of churches, at least in our community, in the city of Dallas, where there's an impression where if you're a parent, you expect the singles in your church to serve in that capacity, as opposed to understanding, you know, m- moms and dads, we can serve one another well by oh, yeah. serving in kids' ministry, by by coming alongside them. I, I think there's also intentional ways, not just talking about formal 
inside the institution or the organization of a church, but just in general in your life, how do we invite other adults into our kids' lives in a way where our kids get to see other adults walk out their faith? Can you think of, Cassie, just examples or ideas of how we could do this well, invite adults into our family's life? I mean, we think we start with hospitality and opening up your home. Yeah. Whether it's someone that you've been asked to like to disciple. So I think about younger adults in my life who Eric and I have walked with, whether it's through premarital counseling or discipleship, like having them into our home and like getting to know them and wanting their voices to be heard in my kid's life. That's one way. I think another way is as you build trust in those relationships is creating like special times for those adults to um, get to spend with our kids, whether it's like, Hey, would you be interested in taking them to lunch this week or coming over? We do a thing for Advent, which I think we've shared where we invite some people over and we like decorate for Christmas and we watch elf and just time together. So it's, but it takes intentional time. Also inviting them to sporting events. Yeah. That's been a lot of fun. Yeah, um, my sure. oldest has really gotten involved in sports. And so her leaders came to her volleyball games this year, um, which was just so fun. And not, I mean, not every church, not that's not an expectation. Every parent can have, but I think it's the invitation, right? It's just the thoughtfulness Mm -hmm. and just thinking these are people I want around and I want influencing my children. And so I'm going to be intentional about inviting them in to every opportunity that I can. Hey friends, it's March. And that means Easter is right around the corner. In fact, Easter is in March this year. It's part of the reason I'm pumped to tell you about one of our sponsors who's got a really special Easter deal. This is a great time to get some new resources to disciple your family. Our friends over at Lithos Kids are having an Easter basket sale. They've got the brand new Little Pilgrims Big Journey complete box set. It's now available. Guys, I can't tell you how much I love this resource. If you don't have it, you need to go check it out. Kids and parents have loved reading about Bunyan's beloved tale of Christian and his adventure to follow the king's path to Celestial City. And now you can get all three books in one box set along with a map and it comes with a coloring book and the whole thing is just 60 bucks. You can use the code FAMILY10 to get 10% off your entire order at Lithos Kids right now. So what a great discipleship opportunity. To find all this, go to lithoskids.com. See all the items in their Easter promo, including their new release, The Parables of Jesus and the Kingdom of God Bible Storybook. Guys, we love Lithos Kids. You're going to love them too. Go check it out today, lithoskids.com. And remember the promo, Family 10, to get 10% off your entire order. Hey, listeners, we live in a world where anxiety, depression, and weariness seem to be the basic descriptors of our lives. For many of us, our calendars and our plates are overfull, yet our lives still lack joy. But it doesn't have to be this way. Jesus invites you to have true and abundant joy that's only found in Him. In John 15, Jesus reveals three very surprising pathways to finding this type of joy. You can discover these pathways in the new book, Overflowing Joy, by author and Bible teacher Tara Dew. This is available at LifeWay.com, and you can save 40% off with the code JOY40. Again, that's J-O-Y, the number four, the number zero, at LifeWay.com. The new book is Overflowing Joy by Tara Dew. Check it out. Adam, I think of when you have had 
the men's discipleship over here. So oh, for our yeah. listeners, you know, Adam has said from the stage at our church before, if you're a man, you haven't been discipled and you want to be, you can just come to my house and filled up our living room with men of various ages. And that has been sweet for our boys. And, and I think really sweet for those men, the time that overlaps. So they come around, they come over like a little before our boys bedtime. Yeah. And then Adam kind of does, I'm at work and then Adam does like our family discipleship with them, uh, reading the Bible. Bible, praying and singing and the sweetest thing like you know our family we sing together before we go mm-hmm. to bed but just imagine a room full of men in their 20s and 30s just singing the doxology with our boys and uh praying together with them and it's awesome and uh, a girl who works with me her husband was was there for discipleship and she said like my husband came home crying because she said that Oscar went around the room and took like 16 prayer requests by name and then prayed out loud for every single man there. Mm. And that she's like, my husband was so convicted by that, you mm-hmm. know, just him listening and remembering and praying. And so you're like, there's this mutual benefit of our boys getting to see grown men that are seeking discipleship and seeking yeah. the Lord together. And then these men got, you know, just a window into Adam's life as a dad and right. yeah. all of it. I mean, everyone's built up by that. Yeah. Everyone's right. faith is well, built up as, by that. As Christian parents, we get the opportunity to retell the story of parenting. And so, I mean, in terms of like, there are this next generation coming up, these 20 somethings, I don't know what generation they are. Are they millennials? Alpha. Gen Z? Oh, the G's, uh, the 20 something? I don't know, like 25 ish. No idea. Let's just call them 25. The youngins, the young yeah. couples. Uh, recently, we've been having a young couple over, and they just shared with us, like, we weren't sure we wanted kids. We've been on the fence, but watching you guys parent and watching how this can be done has recast like a vision for us of what it could be mm-hmm. because they have not seen, they've not seen it modeled. Right. Yeah. And so we get the opportunity for some young adults to come in and and just see like, this is what it is. And whatever idea they have of what parenting is yeah. uh, that the world has given them or that their parents gave them or that they've seen in the workplace, what, you know, wherever we get to kind of retell the story um, and give them a different, a different vision for it. I love that. I love, I love the words you use there, Chelsea, of mutual benefit. It really is of mutual benefit when we can have godly adults in the lives of our children who we want to be growing into godly adults. And if they're around our discipleship, which I I do love times when, in fact, I was just explaining this to somebody. They were kind of blown away by this. When we have a babysitter come to our house and they're going to put our kids to bed if it's bedtime, uh, we don't cancel family discipleship. Even if the babysitter is not a believer and even if they're a stranger, Chelsea will explain to this babysitter and often start with kind of like a faith flag conversation about, hey, do you go to church anywhere? And they say, no. It's like, okay, well... And when our kids go to bed, they read the Bible, they pray, they sing. Our kids are not at an age where we don't need a babysitter to lead that. So our 10-year-old, we just tell him, hey, you know, when it's bedtime, you're going to pick something to read. Uh, hey, Gus, you're going to pick a song. Theater, I want you to pray for your brothers. And we just have that babysitter sit there. It's also an evangelistic opportunity Love for our it. kids to say, just because there's another adult here does not mean we pretend that we don't read the right. Bible or we don't pray. And yeah. so it also, I think, challenges our kids to have some boldness around what they believe and how they practice and see their family like it may be sometimes where you feel weird. And that's okay. That's going to be normal yeah. for us. We're going to feel weird. But it also uh, may show our kids like there are other adults out there. We've also had babysitters that they didn't know that turned out to be believers that loved uh, reading the Bible with our kids. And they were like, hey, I'll come back anytime, you know, and just got to be ministered to by them. And uh, they got to be ministered to by the babysitter, which I, I love that picture of adults and other people's kids and uh, I should also mention too that sometimes other people's kids are really good influences on our kids. We'll see kids and the way they handle oh, sure. 
difficult circumstances or the way that they handle um, uh, an opportunity for resilience in sports or in academics or in behavior in school. Certainly our, our kids are all in school. And so they come home with stories about, you know, the kids that they're struggling with or kids that they have led astray. And then we'll also ask, well, who's, who do you see doing what they're supposed to do? Like who's a leader in your class? And they will easily name like, oh, this kid's a leader. And they're like, okay, well f- follow that kid. Other people's kids can be a great blessing yeah. to our kids. But in addition to that, sometimes we have to remember as parents, no matter what we parent into our kids, what we prepare them for, one of the things we have to address is that they will be around kids that come from families that believe differently than us, mm-hmm. that have made different choices than us. And so they'll be exposed to things that maybe uh, we wouldn't expose our kids to. Uh, Chelsea, you've seen this recently on some school campuses, middle school kids. How do you prepare our kids to interact with kids from families that parent very differently than us? What, and what have you seen? What Adam's referring to is I took a tour of a school because uh, we have some school decisions coming up. And so I took a tour of the school and saw these kids on their phones and what was happening there. And it just like honestly kind of gave me a pit in my stomach. But uh, obviously, you know, we understand our kids are getting older. Like they are not going to be little and be with us all the time. Yep. Someone is going to show them a phone screen and I will <laughs> not be there to filter what is on that screen. And that you know, to be really honest, it's, it scares me. Um, there are some things you cannot unsee. And so I feel like a great sense of timidity with that. But I think a huge thing that we practice a lot in our family is just like circumstantial expectations going into a situation. And so, um, you know, when our kids were, were little going into like a play date going, you know, what are you going to do if somebody takes a toy from you? Are you going to yell and scream and take it back? Are you going to say, may I please have that? Just setting those expectations so that you're giving kids the words. Um, learn that from Jen Wilkin. I'm just giving them the vocabulary for, yeah. for what to say, even before they may actually want to say that, but give them the tools. Um, so what are you going to do when a kid wants to show you something explicit on a phone screen? What are you going to say and how are you going to say it? How are you going to get out of this situation? Setting kids up um, if they're going to a party where, you know, when kids are little, all the mommies stay at a party and we all just help the children get along. And then at a certain point you stop and you you drop your kids off. And that seemed like an, like an abrupt moment <laughs> where like, I'm like, oh, what happened? You know, we, we stopped doing that. And so trying to set your kids up for a lot of hypotheticals and just yeah. thinking like, how will it make you feel? And some of our kids are, are very sensitive and can really talk about how things make them feel. And so that can be really helpful. And teenagers, especially when I was a high school coach, um, you know, when I coach golf, kids regulate the scoring in golf for people who yeah. don't know that there are no referees. The parents can't ref the kids. At the end of the day, you know, the player has to sign their scorecard and someone else has to sign it saying that it's true or else you're disqualified. And so they have to work out any disagreements about what the score was. And I found that my players, when I tried to do some like role playing with them of what, what are you going to say though, when somebody else's score isn't right, how are you going to confront them? Because you can't just like fight them. You can't just punch them in the face. (laughs) (laughs) And it's not okay to do nothing, which a lot of them would just say they'd complain about the cheating, right? Mm -hmm. But they would sign the scorecard. But they'd sign it. So then I'd be like, well, now you're complicit. So you're actually the cheater. Uh, (laughs) Tables turn. (laughs) God is watching. (laughs) Cassie's t-shirt. God is watching. You blew it. So just some role-playing situations of helping them think about what they will do and what they will say in different situations. Well, we've talked about how like you go from choosing your kids' friends when they're little, kind of like 
you know, even now I'm still kind of like a organizing, organizing their it. schedule. I'm like, hey, why don't you go do, you know, go play at this person's house or whatever to them choosing their friends. And my oldest is getting to the point where, and we've talked about this before, but talking about like, what is a good friend and yeah. who are you going to choose to put yourself around? And yeah. there are people in my life that, you know, I only need to spend so much time with before their influence on me is probably not helpful or great, you know, or have to be very mindful about going into spending time with them so that I'm on guard for my own hearts and thought life. Um, and similarly, I want to train, you know, our girls to do the same. There's a book, I don't know if you've heard of this, I think it's from the 90s, and I don't know that I can like 100%, what's it called? Uh, endorse it. Endorse it, thank you. Uh, it's called Sticky Situations. I think there's like five volumes. There's oh, a ton of them. This from, is fun. It's like moral dilemmas? Uh, yes, it's moral dilemmas. And a girl on our staff recently was saying that her parents, they would sit down every morning and they would like talk about a sticky situation. I like that. And it's kind of what you're talking yeah. about. Like you set up, you're setting up, what would you do? And how would you deal with this? Yeah. And yeah. so our student uh, pastor recently bought a copy and has been like marking up pages and like kind of rewriting some of them so they can go through it with their, our students. Like it. And, you know, I'm sure it's like one in every 10 is quality, is a quality sticky <laughs> situation. Yeah. But it's worth just thinking about even writing your own, you and your spouse yeah. writing your own sticky situations and thinking about, you know, yeah. like what are the, what are the situations we're most afraid of? And then how do we, instead of it being in denial and neglecting it, how do we like enter in and prepare our kids for entering into those sticky situations? Yeah. Because our kids will be around other families and other kids, and we will not always be there. And even when we are there, we may not handle it super well. So, and it's good for them to be around. It that's really is. It's really good for them to be challenged. Yeah, and we don't want to say, oh, like, that's a bad family. That's a bad family. No. You know, going, right. okay, they, Adam and I find all the time that people have very different standards for yes. the content yeah. that they consume oh, yeah. Yeah. regarding, like, yep. shows and movies. And it would be such a tragedy if if we wrote people off like, you know, kind of saying, oh, okay, well, then that's not a family we're going to be friends with right. because that's the movie my kids saw at their house or whatever. You're going, that everybody has to decide for themselves yeah. what's best for themselves. So we right. can't just judge people and write them off mm. where you're going, these, these, this is part of the body of Christ. Um, these are our brothers and sisters. And so we right. don't want to miss out on, um, on all of these mutual benefits just because we don't see eye to eye on something. But we mm. do want to prepare our, our children to say, yeah. you know, yeah. It's a delicate balance too, because I don't, I don't want to be judged by my kid's behavior as far as like my quality as a human being. But I quickly... Wait, which kid? Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, I, was gonna say, I would maybe prefer to be sometimes, judged. Yeah. Sometimes my kids behave well, better than I do. That's maybe, balance maybe isn't the right word. It's attention because sometimes I do want it in if it serves me, right? Right, exactly. And um, similarly though, I, like, I know that I will do that to other parents. I will see a way a kid behaves and go, oh, there's that, oh, that kid, oh, that family. But there is something to be said for there are some things that are ungodly that other families may choose to do that while I don't want to judge in the sense of like this harsh, graceless judgment, I do want to help our kids understand there are some choices that our families will make that we will not make. Yeah. And uh, when it comes to the way they uh, dress their daughters or the kind of music yeah. or internet access they might allow, those are things that I want to be more careful about. Or uh, in a few years, our kids are still pretty young, but in a few years, when it comes to jobs, where they work and how they spend their money will be different probably than our family. Our our family is going to be, um, I expect our kids to be aggressive savers because they have to be and aggressive givers to their local church because it's going to be mandated while they're part of our house. That's not always going to be the case for every other kid that they interact with. So how will they deal with that sense, uh, that sense that we still have as parents of judgment from others, you know, and how will we put up with that? You know, I, I want it when it's to my advantage and I don't want it when it's not. But that's setting them up to learn to be in relationship with the people that they disagree with, which is yeah. something our culture lacks. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, we've got a lot. We we've ha- got to impart that to to this yes. future generation is that there are going to be people that don't see eye to eye with you. And that does not mean yes. that you cancel them in your life. Yeah. Exactly. It means you love them right. ferociously yes. and still keep your convictions. Yeah. Alan Jacobs has a small book called Breaking Bread with the Dead. And he talks about the benefit of reading authors who have, are long gone that you disagree with because it teaches you to be an empathetic neighbor. It like mm. teaches you how to disagree with people who are you live life with, you mm. know, if you can teach yourself to think about the way you disagree. Anyway, sorry. Because you feel Tangent. sad for that author because they're dead? No, <laughs> no. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like you, you are practicing disagreeing with someone, but it's not yeah. offending them because they're gone. It's like, so you, you know, but oh, then you're learning then how to like disagree with someone. Someone who's still alive. Who's still alive. I prefer the dead. You prefer disagreeing <laughs> with the dead. I like disagreeing with the dead. They, they don't talk back. back. Yeah. I win every time. So I know that there are other families will make decisions about how they will parent that will make it harder for us because it will like kind of um, come against maybe a decision that we've made. I wonder if you guys can identify anything like decisions you're making in your family that might make it harder for other people's kids to be around your kids. And how are, how are you guys handling that? Like decisions you've made that maybe might isolate or make it hard for your child and another family might see that and go, well, my kid's not going to want to hang out with your kid or my kid's not going to enjoy that. Or gosh, I don't like that decision. How are you guys navigating that? I don't know that we've had that happen yet. I don't know if we are just unique, but I'm trying to think, or maybe I'm unaware. Yeah. Maybe you're unaware of all the people that are avoiding all the people who don't come to the birthday party. (laughs) (laughs) The RSVPs is really like a measurement of, of love and appreciation of your parenting. Totally. (laughs) I think the biggest thing right now, and I don't know that it keeps our friends from having, uh, you know, friendships right now, but it's like in the way maybe we spend money. We have friends with different means, a lot of friends, you know, and there are just things that our kids will be like, why can't we have that? Like, because we, that's just not how we're going to spend our money. Like, we're just not, we don't have the type of expendable money to do that. And so there's some economic conversations we're having in our household that just set us apart. But I don't know that it's kept us from friendships or even quality of friendships. That's good. We have not crossed much into like the technology watching. I mean, none of my daughter's friends have phones yet. Uh, Most of us uh, all have similar like a taste in what we're letting our kids watch on TV, you know, so... I think God has really just kept us from that. Yeah. It's coming. I know. Yeah. That it's well, coming. you have a you have a great community because you guys have a lot of like close friends with kids your kids' age. Exactly. Like yeah, in, yeah. in in my and Adam's home group, we're the only people with kids our kids' age. Gotcha. Um, our our home group is very age age and life stage diverse. diverse. That's yeah. awesome. Uh, yeah, we love it, and it, like the conversation we're having, it you know it invites all these great humans into the lives of our kids uh, that they wouldn't know otherwise. So it's great, but we don't have kind of what you're describing. <laughs> yeah. No, we don't. We definitely yeah. have, like, there's there's some version of social media. It's not social media, but there's some version of social media or technology that other kids, some of our kids' age have, where they're interacting and our kids will come back to school on Monday really? and have missed a whole yeah, conversation that happened over the, the group, weekend. Group text or the Facebook yeah, messenger or whatever that. that is. We don't yeah. play video games that involve the internet, so we don't want our kids, you know, playing no. uh, first-person shooter games with some guy in Toledo. You know, we don't, we don't do stuff like <laughs> Toledo's that. Toledo's the worst. But because I'm of that, there's, there's some kids that get together and do that that feels like our kids are more socially isolated because yeah. they're not participating. No, that's and, coming for us, I'm or, sure. Or even like in academic senses, there's books other kids are reading that our kids don't read and, and mm-hmm. vice versa books that our kids do read that the other kids do not. And 
a lot of that stuff I do think is preparing our kids for the type of resilience and oddity that I hope they are ready yeah, for. Yeah, that otherness. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, there's so much we love. Like our, our kids' school is great. They have great friends. Our kids' church is great. They have mm-hmm. great friends. And many of those families are making a, a many similar decisions about how we're parenting. That is such a comfort to yeah. go, hey, that's what we're doing. But I, I want to make sure that in the midst of that, they are prepared for the day that comes when they're around the kid who... Uh, tries to show them something yeah. on his phone and it is uh, nudity or it is yeah. pornography or it is uh, illicit music. And I want my kids to be ready to go. I don't, I don't want any part of that. Not yeah. just cause my, I might get in trouble, not just cause my parents right. told me not to, it's not beneficial. but I'm trying to shape a kid's heart that goes, man, that's not, that's not yeah. for me. I follow a, a God who, who thinks this is bad. Like you said, Chelsea, things you can't unsee, things you can't unhear, but I want to make those uh, good decisions. I do think to kind of summarize the conversation, being around other people's kids um, is often an opportunity for us to learn and say like, oh, that, that kid is like that or that family is like that. I, that needs to stretch and challenge me. It's, it's good. I don't think everybody needs to build their own bunker and put their family in it and say we're, the way we're parenting is the best way. I think there's something from that. Mm. I do think there's a challenge that comes from interacting with, kind of coming against uh, families that parent differently, and whether that's in school or in church or some other kind of athletic or extracurricular activity, you will, you will see parents that do things different. I see that when we go to one of our kids' basketball games and you see the parents from another team and they act very differently towards the referees or towards their children or mm-hmm. coaches who scream at kids like their life is on the line. And I just, that is not me. I've actually, if, if we were talking about parenting other people's parents, I have on more than one occasion talked to individual men about the way they yelled at their kids on the basketball team and said, Hey guys, let's, let's not yell like that. Let's not, because it drives me bananas. And at at the same time, like I I don't feel regret around it that I want to challenge some people and convict people, even strangers that we don't treat kids poorly. But I think uh, for me, that's the lesson I want to be better at, but also I want to prepare my kids for is how do I interact with somebody who's different than me about something that's very important to me? And then how do we, like we talked about earlier, guard our kids' influences even when we're not around to do it. So prepare them for friendships in which there's a difference and diversity. Well, thanks for listening, friends. If you think it's as important as we do to disciple our families, please help us out by giving us a great review wherever you listen to podcasts. Please visit one of our sponsors and share this episode with one of your friends. If you want to keep up with us or join the conversation, you can follow the Family Discipleship Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. We love you listeners. We're looking forward to all God has for us. For the rest of this year, we have one more episode this season, so we will see you next week.